The reading today is um, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, starting at verse 10, which can be found on 1196 of your church Bibles. 1196, starting at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are um, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. A brief prayer. Gracious God, we pray that you would meet us in the pages of your word, that you would warm our hearts, that you would point us to Jesus, that you would stir us up to fresh worship and love and service for his glory. Amen. Um, the passage we've, we've had read is on page 1196, and it would help me if you had that open in front of you, 1196, 2 Timothy 3, and we're looking at verses 10 to 17. Now, there is a context for this passage, and it's important to grasp that. Paul in prison was really concerned for the church and what would happen to it after his departure. And so we see in this letter an impassioned plea to his young friend Timothy to step up to the mark for Christian leadership in these last days of gospel and global mission. We saw a fortnight ago there would be difficulties abounding in a God-rejecting culture where false teachers would try to worm their way into church life and its most sensitive ministries. There'd be testing times ahead, and persecutors would be likely to pick off the leaders first. What a challenge for a young man, Timothy. I think on this Remembrance Day of Britain's Prime Minister Winston Churchill in the dark days of 1940, saying resolutely to his people, he had nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. And a nation braced its shoulders 
to face a massive task and awesome losses until victory was won. Now, how might Timothy respond to this frighteningly daunting call? Did he wince? Did he brace his shoulders and say, I can do it? I don't think so. I think he got down on his knees and he said, Gracious Lord, I can't do this. But you can. Paul had already said in chapter 1, verse 14, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God protects his investment in his people by his indwelling spirit. Now, how should Timothy equip himself for his task? Paul points to the right role model for him. Apparently it's himself, but actually, of course, he's pointing him to the master Jesus whom he served. And this comes in verse 10. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, and so on. So look, he is saying, this is the mark of authentic Christ-like leadership and ministry. My teaching, Paul's doctrine and methods, his way of life, humble, hardworking, honest. This is servant leadership based on the pattern of Jesus, our master. His purpose, always to glorify the Messiah Jesus by making him known. And look at the character of his ministry in these two verses. Based on faith, trusting God for salvation and enabling power. Patience. What a super, kindly, teacher-type word. Encouraging, coaxing, persisting. And all based on love. Paul overflowed with grateful love to the Savior who died for him on the cross. And because his love for Jesus had developed, it cascaded over into love for other people. And brothers and sisters, if our ministry isn't based on love, it's not based on anything lasting. But look at Paul's toughness in the face of difficulty and suffering. Endurance. That lovely title of a biography, a long obedience in the same direction. That's Paul. And he's saying to Timothy, don't give up. Carry on. Endure. Or as the authorized version used to put, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Because Paul and Timothy would have to be braced for persecutions, for opposition, hostility, and in Paul's case, prison, beatings, stoning. Yes, Paul's was a ministry of suffering, as Jesus had been, physical pain, illness, shipwreck, anxiety for the churches. And now we come 
as uh, Paul reminded Timothy, um, he says, you know what happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Uh, This is described for us in Acts 13 and 14. In Pisidian Antioch, Paul had preached. The message was well received at first, and then uh, some Jewish troublemakers arrived and persecution was stirred up and Paul was expelled. He went on to Iconium. And again, in the same sort of way, there was immediate response to the message and then those same troublemakers turned up and there was a plot to kill him and he was driven out. Next town along the line, Lystra. And here, uh, first of all, uh, he was hailed as a god and then opinion turned against him when Paul said, no, 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 we're only human beings like you. And eventually uh, there was such opposition there, he was stoned and left for dead. And now he says, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. What did Paul mean? He'd gone through awful suffering, and Timothy might have to do the same. And servants of Jesus can't just count on getting a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, what he means is something different. Paul and Timothy knew that those early servants of Jesus, Stephen and James, had paid for their faithfulness to Christ in the early years of the church with their death. And Paul's execution was likely to come any time now. And if this is, as we think, the persecution that the Emperor Nero had unleashed in Rome, it included Peter as well. So the leaders of the Christian church were now in prison and under condemnation. But Peter was going to be faithful to his master unto death. And so would Paul. And he's describing to Timothy, don't you see? The Lord is rescuing me, bringing me through these things, faithful to him. This means God wins. And that is the deliverance and the triumph that belongs to every Christian believer. The Lord brings us through. He brings us through trouble. He has promised to bring us into his eternal kingdom. Just notice verses 12 and 13 how the enemy of souls wages this spiritual war. There are two ways here that are are mentioned. There's the persecution of believers threatening them, frightening them, silencing them perhaps, reminding them there's a cost to witnessing for Jesus. Better keep out of sight. The enemy of souls also has a technique for dealing with unbelievers. Muddle them, confuse them. He's a master of lies, deception, fake truth, scorn for this message. And so Satan has his strategy. And what is Paul's call to Timothy and to us in verse 14? Continue in what you have learned. Keep going. Persevere. And Timothy knows that this gospel that he's called to serve 
is true. It's real. He knew that. The gospel brings hope. Timothy had seen how it had changed the lifestyle of his mother and his grandfather, uh, uh, grandmother. He'd heard the message of the gospel from them. He'd seen it lived out in Paul's life. That ex-persecutor turned into a champion defender of the faith. Incidentally, just as we pass, notice how important is this witness from one generation to another. If you are a parent, remember, you have undoubtedly a congregation entrusted to you. It's your own kids. First and foremost, the mission field God has given you. If your grandparents, you have a sacred task of witness and care and prayer and prayer for those you love. And there is a special value, I believe, in childhood faith that survives to adulthood. Do you know when I've heard other people give their glittering testimonies of being saved from a life of crime or rescued from being a gunman in Northern Ireland and I thought, oh dear, my testimony isn't very exciting. <laughs> I was reared in a Christian home. I came to know the Lord as a kid. And then I thought, do you know there is something important here? The Lord, who was my friend as a tiny kid, is the same Lord who stands with me now. I didn't know the questions to ask when I was a little one. My mum told me. My dad lived it out. And I came to believe. But then, as I have faced the tests of life and asked the questions, I have found that that childhood faith is the faith of adulthood. It's the faith of eternity. There is, a, there is a testimony you have, even if it's not a very exciting one. No one will read books written about that. Uh, but it's a, it's a true testimony. And Timothy knew that. And Paul knew that that was true of Timothy. Now, something else about this gospel of ours it didn't suddenly jump into being with the life of Jesus. This is the fulfillment of the ancient faith given to the Hebrews. It's the climax and crown of the promises that the Jewish people had been looking forward to, the promise of a coming king and deliverer. Now he's come in the person of Jesus. Now, Timothy knew this, and Paul is saying to him, look, don't drop the torch now. Keep holding on. Find Bible strength and inspiration, and this is an urgent call to us as well. Keep on with the faith. How do we keep it alive? By spending time with the Lord. Now, that needs commitment and choice. I suggest the beginning of each day is a wonderful moment just to reorientate our lives around the things that really matter. A 
brief reading of scripture, a brief lifting of our heart to the Lord in prayer. I say brief, if you haven't time for longer, if you have, invest in it and your faith will grow. But listen to this call to us all. Continue in what you have learned and believed. And so we come to our third uh, word. We've had look, we've had continue, and now our third one, learn. Verses 15 and 16. We are learning from Scripture. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible, the Scriptures... It's not some old, dusty book. It's the living Word of God. This is where we meet with our God. He reveals himself in the pages of Scripture. And if you say, well, I haven't, I haven't got a very profound sense of the presence of God, perhaps you haven't read enough of the Scriptures and learn to meet him in his word. This book has the power to bring us to God. It speaks of how we can be forgiven and changed, how we can receive God's Holy Spirit and live out all that salvation means. Paul uses an interesting word here. The scriptures can make you wise for salvation. In, through faith in Christ Jesus. Wise. The Bible tells us what God thinks of our human need and how needy we are. We disobey him constantly. We don't allow God to be king in our lives. We are desperately needy people. But the Bible tells us of God's enormous love for mankind. He has always found a way of keeping that channel of communication open. And finally, he sent his final revelation, his own son, to take our human body upon himself to live a perfect human life. And then to go to the cross pay for our failure before God. We can't pay our debt to Almighty God. But Jesus, his faultless son, took our sin, our loathsomeness, our rebellion against God. He took it upon his shoulders. He took upon himself the punishment due for our sins. And because he died, we can be accepted by God our Father. Cleansed, washed, adopted into his family. Isn't this fantastic? And only the Bible will tell us that. It makes us wise to salvation. Now something else, verse 16. Paul refers to Scripture. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. All Scripture. What did Paul mean? 
when he wrote this, of course, the principal scriptures were the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, Paul would have called them. This is the, this is the revelation of God in scripture. But already we find, as the New Testament is written, we find uh, one or two references to other scriptures. And already in Paul's day, people were beginning to say, yes, these apostolic letters are God's message to us. Those collections of Jesus' teaching and accounts of his life, they speak to us. These are genuine message from God. And we remember how Jesus had commissioned the apostles to do just this, to give a true account of his teaching and ministry to the world. And only the writings of the apostles or that made under their supervision could be accepted as genuine. And eventually, the church generally came to recognize those letters, those accounts of the life of Jesus, those apostolic books, these are part of the canon of Scripture. And the, uh, when the council of the church met at Laodicea in 363, and they said, well, this is what we believe to be the canon of Scripture, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles, and, and uh, Revelation, and so on. They were not bestowing authority on those books. They were recognizing the authority of those books. Do you see the point? It's so often said the canon of Scripture was established by the church. It's not. All that happened at Laodicea in 363 was that they said, these, we appreciate, these are the books that give us the Word of God, the Scriptures. And they're all God-breathed. That tells us how God inspired these books. God breathed. It doesn't mean that the writers went into a trance and wrote, as it were, on a typewriter at the dictation of God. No, God used their personality, their circumstances, their abilities, their use of language, and he molded that into his own holy word. This is God breathed. Will you allow the breath of God who inspired the scriptures to breathe his word into your soul and mine as we read? And Paul goes on to describe the usefulness of the scriptures for teaching about the nature of God and his purposes and the significance of humanity, rebuking the Bible shows up our human sinfulness and folly. Correcting. Yes, we need to test all our doctrines, beliefs, and practice according to the touchstone of Scripture. The Bible corrects our mistakes. There's a, a lovely verse in Isaiah 30, verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. If we reset our lives daily 
by the Spirit of God's help as we read the Scriptures, we will have a continuous correction of course. I think of an exercise I took some boys on years ago, uh, cadets, Dartmoor, and I saw this done brilliantly. Night navigation. And it was done, the uh, leading cadet, he went on to become one of the army's best colonels, but who knew that in those days? And he was in charge of a group of boys, and he had a compass. He worked out the course. Uh, we had about two miles to trek, uh, and uh, it did actually take about two hours to cover that ground. But uh, it was a very dense, uh, densely dark night. He'd got the course, he'd got it set on his compass, he uh, told one of the more junior boys to go out to the very limit of visibility. Stop. And the whole lot, the party, joined there. And then he tried again. He sent him off. And this time he was saying, left a bit, left a bit, left, go right, go right, stop. Move on. And again, it was halting progress, but it was absolutely spot on. And two hours later, two miles later, there we were exactly at the right spot. Brilliantly done. Now, do you see what this verse is saying? When you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you say, this is the way, walk in it. When we read Scripture, and we open our, our, our minds to, to what God shows us. He will correct us. We, we learn God's character. We see the things that please him. We learn to correct our own lives like that. And so, Paul says, we are trained in righteousness. The Bible will help us to develop in Christ-likeness with God-orientated lives. Incidentally, the Bible is an education in itself, isn't it? Think of John Bunyan, the untaught uh, genius of English literature, unskilled, unschooled, learned from the Bible. Uh, I think of William Carey, left school at 12, taught himself Latin, loved the Bible, taught himself Greek, taught himself Hebrew, learned Sanskrit, learned Indian languages, so that he could communicate the Word of God to others. The Bible is an education in itself. Why do we do all this? Verse 17 so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped for service. Understanding God through his word as more important than natural gifts. Equipped, thoroughly equipped for service. I guess Paul was thinking of those Roman soldiers who carried any amount of kit with them, weapons and armor and uh, 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 food and so on. But each Roman soldier carried two stakes and a small spade. Every night, a legion on the march would halt and they would dig themselves a proper defensive position according to a well-known formation. 
equipped for service. May God equip us for his service. Lives that will be faithful to him and fruitful to the Lord. We live in a needy world. We have a gracious God. Has our gracious God got willing servants?